Well, last week in my homily, I talked about seeing. It was Epiphany last Sunday. And how King Herod saw the newborn baby as a threat to his reign. How what Herod saw was determined in large part by how Herod saw. In his case, through a lens of paranoia, grandiosity, and fear. Today, the theme in many churches around the world, the lectionary reading, is about Jesus' baptism. And I think these texts also have to do with seeing. In the passage for today, after Jesus came up from the water, it says that the heavens were open to him. And what exactly does this mean? It's not immediately clear. I think it's metaphorical language. And I'm choosing to interpret it as a metaphor for a larger field of vision opening up to Jesus. At his baptism, Jesus' sight was expanded. The heavens opened to him. His consciousness was increased. The Lord brought him out into a broad place, as the psalmist exclaims. A broad place is another image for a more expansive seeing. So God brought Jesus to this place in his baptism. Why? Well, the text says because he delighted in him. This phrase occurs both in the psalm and in the gospel. Why did the Lord bring David out into a broad place? Because he delighted in him. Why did the Lord open the heavens to Jesus? Because he delighted in him. He was God's beloved. At our recent Advent baptism service, I spoke about how baptism is a response to this knowledge of being loved and about how the knowledge of being truly loved allows one to come out of the narrow confines of the protected self, out of this need to always be comparing yourself, differentiating yourself from others, brings us out of this narrow individualism. I shared a quote from a contemplative author named Beatrice Bruto. Here it is again. The way out of this estrangement, this narrow individualist path, is to become really convinced that someone else is sustaining you, that you don't have to sustain yourself, that you have already been given more affirmation, respect, love than you can ever imagine desiring. When you really believe this, all of the tired, old, self-defense operations can evaporate. When you really believe this, that you are loved and sustained by another, by God, as we're talking about here, it's as if the heavens are open to you and that you're brought into a broad place where you see from a higher and a wider perspective, where your fears and insecurities start to melt away. 
This, I believe, is what was happening to Jesus at his baptism. He was truly experiencing the fact of being loved and sustained by God. And this gave him great peace, great security, and also, therefore, great power. And I suppose who knows for sure whether this realization actually happened at the moment there at the Jordan River. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't, but that's not really the point. Baptism is just the symbol for this realization. The point is that this realization did in fact happen within Jesus at some point and that he was able to live out of this expanded vision and consciousness consistently. And this consistency, I think, is really the significant thing about Jesus. Not that he had the vision, but that he could consistently maintain it and live out of it. I'm guessing that many of us have had glimpses of the baptismal vision, this vision of being deeply loved and accepted, a momentary sense that everything is okay, that my individual self and preoccupations are not the most important things, a sense that I'm part of something much greater. I know some kids have talked about having this experience at camp, out in nature, realizing you're a part of a larger whole and that you feel accepted and embraced by it at a deep level. But we only seem to get glimpses of this vision. It's hard for us to sustain it. When we come home from camp, it doesn't quite feel the same. After a spiritual experience, it's hard to sustain it to allow us, to allow it to continue to shape us and change us. And the unique thing about Jesus is that he seemed to be able to sustain it. For whatever reason, he didn't revert back to the narrow and the fearful way, at least not that often. I wouldn't be surprised if Jesus did slip back on occasion. If he was truly human, as we know he was, I can't imagine him being perfect. And this is actually something that's kind of bothered me about Christian doctrine. Uh, this theological notion that Jesus was completely perfect, that he was without sin, that he never messed up. I don't find this all that helpful. I'm, I don't know if you do. Why does he have to be so perfect? Insisting on his perfection just seems to detract from his humanity, in my opinion, and makes him harder to relate to, harder to follow. Maybe that's heresy to say that. I'm not sure. Um, but let's assume Jesus wasn't perfect. Even if he wasn't perfect, he was still a person of profound inner confidence. He knew very deeply that he was loved by God and would always be loved by God, no matter what. 
When I was younger, I used to think of Jesus mostly as a moral teacher and a role model, as a holy example of how I should live. He was someone who always did the right thing. And so, as a Christian, I should always do the right thing too. I should be kind to people, like Jesus was kind. If someone insulted me, I should turn the other cheek, as Jesus did. If someone needed a loan, I should lend them money and not even expect it back. If someone was lost or lonely, I should go out of my way and try to find them. I think this is how many Mennonites and and perhaps so-called progressive Christians still view Jesus as primarily as a moral example, as a teacher, as someone who tells us all the shoulds. We should care about the poor. We should tell the truth. We should never return violence with violence. We should not seek more money. All these shoulds are certainly part of the picture. But if we look closely at the baptism of Jesus, our our text and theme for today, we see that these shoulds are not the whole of it. There is much more than morality at play when it comes to Jesus. There is also spirituality. The spirituality of Jesus is this awareness and experience of being loved by God unconditionally, of living in this broad place. And this, I think, is often what we Mennonites and perhaps liberals overlook. I always remember one thing that Richard Rohr said at one of his talks. The problem with the liberals, he said, is that they don't know how to fall in love. They don't really know how to be loved by God and how to love God back with all their heart and soul and mind. For them, it seems to be more guarded than that. It's all about the proper behavior, about taking the proper positions, using the proper language, being politically correct. What about love? What about losing yourself in love? Well, I think he's right, and uh, I'm not sure that the conservatives do a whole lot better. A lot of the conservative impulse seems to come more from fear than it does from love. Fear of the slippery slope. Fear of the wrong people having sex. Fear of the government. Fear that things will spiral out of control. Fear of change and the unknown. Jesus was certainly not a conservative, and he wasn't a liberal either. He was his own person, God's beloved, someone who moved out in that place beyond the boundaries and the labels that we so often like to use. Jesus knew very deeply that he was loved and secure in God, and it wasn't just an intellectual thing. He actually experienced it and felt it, and it gave him a great sense of inner confidence and joy. And so I believe that this is also part of following him. 
being baptized into the same experience and vision, and that this actually comes before all of the ethical shoulds. Following Jesus means seeking the same spirituality, seeking the same whole body knowledge of being loved and accepted. It means having the heavens opened up to us, being led out into this broad place. And so may God lead us there. However, God's Spirit does such things through circumstance, through other people, through suffering, through music, art, sermons, prayer, through nature and grace. May God's Spirit lead us there. Amen.